Verse 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. What's eternal life? I will raise Him up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble at Him because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can He say, I came down from heaven? See, they had a right to that argument. They had a right to it unless He proved that He was who He said He was. And His life, His death, and His resurrection did just that. That's why they were so certain that if He raised from the dead, that would be worse than anything else that He did. They said this, uh, let's see, verse 43, Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Is it, it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from Him comes to Me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only He has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. If you believe, you have everlasting life. Now, Paul's going to tell us exactly what that is. Jesus has already told us, but Paul makes it so crystal clear it is not possible to misunderstand. Everlasting life is being raised up at the last day. That's what everlasting life is. When you think of eternity, get out of your mind heaven. If you have to throw away all the church music and t-shirts and bumper stickers that we have that say that, then throw them away. If we were more resurrection-focused, then the church would not have received this lie about the rapture. It never would have entered your mind. Now, there are people that would just stone me because they think the rapture is the resurrection. Well, it could be if that's all you're talking about. And, and I could live with that. If rapture is synonymous with resurrection, I could live with that. It's the wrong word. It's not what Paul used. It's not what he preached, so I don't know why we would. But I could live with it if you're defining the resurrection as the rapture. But people aren't. They aren't. They're defining the rapture as flying away to go to heaven. Leaving this old stinking world behind and the Jews to suffer. How ignorant. How shamefully ignorant. The Bible was written and Paul's letters were written for the purpose of us not being ignorant. But if you don't read them, you ignorant. Ignorant. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. It is no mistake that the most carnal thing that has ever called itself Christianity literally thinks that you eat Jesus. I don't have time to teach on transubstantiation tonight. When I lived in Louisiana, I dedicated more than a year to teaching on transubstantiation. Jesus' body was never eaten. Plain, simple, period, done, over. At the Last Supper that instituted what we do as communion, He was not eaten. Nobody took out a knife and fork and ate His arms and legs. At this point, when He's telling them to believe on Him, nobody carved Him up. That is absurd. 
It is simply a power struggle to make you go to a synagogue of Satan. Boy, that sounds harsh, doesn't it? I don't care. It is designed for one purpose, to make you dependent on somebody else. We are the only ones that have the body of Christ. You have to eat it to be saved. Take a magic Jesus pill. Well, what happens when that thing just passes through your body? Because Jesus said that what a man eats or does not eat does not make him clean since it just passes through the body. And if a mouse eats a crumb that drops to the floor, is it now holy? How about an ant? We'd go save all the ants. We'd drop crackers on the ant piles. It's absurd. And it's from a lack of knowledge about the Scripture and a natural understanding. Jesus is talking about receiving His Word. The Pharisees, both then and the Pharisees today, think He's talking about a natural bread. Talk about ignorance. Is it any mistake then that those that teach that are the same ones that made it illegal to have a Bible? That fought against the Bible, that called it a pest, that burned people on the printing press for printing Bibles? Is it any mistake? That spirit has changed form many times, but it's the same spirit. And it's the one that killed Jesus. And it's the fourth kingdom that Daniel says, the saints crush. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Morons. I might have thought the same thing until I was given eyes to see. Jesus' disciples knew that couldn't be what he meant, but they didn't understand what he did mean. And so he explains it. But first, he's got to run off all the hard-hearted in the crowd. And he goes right ahead and does it. Jesus is not concerned about them not understanding. Isaiah foretold that they would not understand. Though they had ears and though they had eyes, they wouldn't see and they wouldn't hear. And he intended it to be so. Because salvation is for the lowly of heart, not the prideful. Healing is for those who are sick, not those that think that they're doctors. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Is that not like the tenth time he's equated being raised up with the last day with eternal life? So how did we get it to be anything else? Eternal life is to die, go sit on a cloud forever. I don't know what we're going to do there, but it would be like fishing. Or it'll be like prop me up by the jukebox. Or whatever idiotic thing we could come up with. We're going to live in heaven for an eternity. That is not what the Bible says. It is not what Jesus preached. And we need to purge it. We need to vomit it out of our churches. He said, why? What's wrong with it? It's not what Jesus taught. doesn't matter how good it is. It doesn't even matter if it's true under some circumstances. It is not what Jesus preached. We need to go tell people you are under the power of death and there's one that can give you life. But you have to be obedient to His every word. You have to love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And whatever He says do, you have to do or you'll be cut off, buddy. That is the Gospel. That's what Paul preached. It's what the apostles preached. And I'll prove it before we're done here. Verse 55, For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. That was hard for him. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Deuteronomy 8 opens this wide up. 
It says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus was the very word of God. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while he was teaching in a synagogue in Capernaum. I want to read the explanation real quick. On hearing that, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Why did he say that? Why did he say that? Think about it. When did he ascend? After he rose from the dead. He said, this offends you? It won't offend you after you see me rise. Then you'll understand what I'm saying. That I have the power of life. You're in death and I'm the only way out. If you're offended at this, your offense will be dissipated if you hang on till you see me ascend. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life. If that does not prove that what he said was not to eat his body, but had a spiritual meaning, then what would? But the same ignorant people that misunderstood and ran away from Jesus then have run away from Jesus now. They just wear their wolf in a sheep's clothing. The spirit of Rome put on the cloak of the church. This is not an anti-Catholic message. I'm railing against every single religious organization you can think of. I have no friends out there and I don't want them. Not that I don't love the people. I want everybody to be just what we are, sincere about the truth. But I will not compromise with the false Christianity that's around us. One-fifth of the world's population claims to be a Christian. And yet the Bible defines a Christian as those who are obedient to Jesus, those who follow His teaching. Do you not see a vast disparity there? I do. Well, how on earth can we draw attention to it? We need to live what is true, we need to preach what is true, and we need to be loving to everybody that we meet. Half the people that get this CD or this tape will say, oh, well, he's not being loving. The most loving thing you could do to anybody is boldly proclaim the truth, even if it offends, even if it hurts, because offenses cause growth. You want the tree in my front yard to grow more? Go prune its branches. Cut off the parts of it that are dead, and it will thrive. You want it to die? Just leave that old gradu hanging on there. Gradu is a Cajun word that means crap, basically. It's the stuff that's in the pan that you scrape off. I'm sure not Cajun, but I did pick up some things in Louisiana. Yeah, okay. So you've got our resident Cajun expert there. Alright, we're moving on from John. Paul sums up what I am saying in the 15th chapter of Corinthians. And, I, and so we're going to go there. Go to Corinthians 15. Is it very clear to you that the problem that entered mankind was death? That Jesus is the solution for death? You come to Him and He gives you life. Is that clear? Listen to how Paul says this. And admittedly, Paul's a confusing fellow at times. He's much smarter than I am, and so I have to think about the words that he speaks. You know, in Romans 7, the whole good that I want to do, and, you know, that, that whole thing, I'm the kind of guy, I've got to read that four or five times to get that straight. There's too many reversals there. Well, this is the beginning of this. If, if there is no resurrection, then, you know, you, well, you'll see what I mean. Admittedly, it, it can be a little confusing. 
So we can take it slow. You get it straight. And you know what? He lays out the gospel as perfectly as can be. In fact, in Corinthians 15.1, he says, I want to remind you of the gospel we preach. But starting in verse 12, because it's on our topic today. But if it is preached that Christ has not been raised from the dead, let's assume, let's assume not only that he's talking about just saying that Christ didn't rise from the dead. How about not emphasizing it? How about not understanding it? Think about it in that light. How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Why would you say that? Because Christ's resurrection was the proof that there will be a resurrection of the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. You mean we can't die and go to heaven if Jesus wasn't raised? That's right. Because the point is not to die and go to heaven. It's that Jesus claimed that he was the resurrection and the life. He flat out said it in John 10. I am the resurrection. I am the life. If you come to him, he will give you the life. That only works if he himself was what he said. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. What would make you a false witness about God? If you did not preach the resurrection. Because that's what Paul preached. But we're going to prove that later. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But if He did not raise Him, if in fact the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Come on, Star Trek fans. What's it mean to be futile? You remember resistance is futile? What does it mean if your faith is futile? It's useless. If your faith is not based upon a resurrected Christ who is going to resurrect you, it is useless. Now, I'm not saying that people out there that love Jesus with all their heart but don't understand the resurrection have a useless faith. It's useless in sharing. I mean, it's, it's not the real gospel. They themselves will be saved. You don't have to be a scholar to be saved. But we do need to adjust. We need to get on the right message. Because you know what? Israel, which is the goal of our Gentile churches being saved, will never receive this die and go to heaven message because it was not the hope of Israel. It's not what God proclaimed to them through all the prophets. Asking them to receive a rapture and going to heaven is like asking a, a Buddhist, you know, to do it. It, it. it makes no sense to them. And Christianity is not separate from Judaism. It is completing Judaism. Christianity is a sect of Judaism is how the Jews thought of it. We simply call it the way. Because the apostles called it the way. It's the way that Jews ought to live. It is an extension of Judaism. It's the fulfillment of Judaism. It is not something separate and succinct. Nor should it be. If it were, then they would be right. We've accepted a false god. It's our premise that the same God that was the God in the Old Testament is our God. That He appointed a man, Jesus, as His representative. His Son declared Him with power to have the fullness of the Godhead in Him. We need to not think of it as separate. Our hope has to be the same as their hope. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Jesus' raising was the proof that those who have already died will raise. 
So if Jesus didn't raise, then neither will those who have already died. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Get that. More than all men. If you have no hope in the resurrection, then you should be pitied more than all men. You know why? Because you're condemned to die. You have no hope. That's what you've set your hope on, is the resurrection. And if there is no resurrection, your hopes are false, invalid, futile. But if Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, I want you to get this. This, this sums up the gospel. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, resurrected. But each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then those who belong to him when he comes. Or then those, I'm sorry, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Get this, then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. When will the end come? After we've been resurrected. After we put all enemies under his feet. Say, well, what will be the sign of the end of the age? Matthew 24 ends with the angels gathering us and him coming on the clouds. The end of this age is when we rise to meet Jesus in the air to get your glorified body. So that then His army can be set up on earth and put every enemy underfoot. You do not vanish to go to heaven. So if what you're calling rapture is rising to meet Him to get a glorified body and returning to the earth, fantastic. I kind of think that's not true. And any attempt to want to call the resurrection the rapture must be to avoid persecution by all of these people that have received this rapture teaching that is about 150 years old and was never taught before that and is based upon men that didn't understand the baptism of the Holy Ghost or most of the other things in the Bible. I'd love to blame that one on the Catholic Church. I can't. It's not a Catholic teaching. It's a Protestant teaching. And it's wrong. Could not be more wrong. Doesn't matter whether Dallas Theological teaches it or any other supposed great man of God that sells all kind of books. A psychologist who sells books at that. After Corinthians 15, you've heard the words of Jesus summed up in this way. He's the first to rise from the dead, the first fruits. After him, then we rise. That's because the same week that he was crucified, that was the Passover week, also began the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You know what else was that week? The, the Feast of First Fruits. The Jewish leaders would go out into the field, they'd grab barley, they would come back with a sheaf of barley, they'd wave it before God, saying, God, this is the barley that you grew. Isn't it beautiful? This is yours. This is of your own choosing. And there's more just like it in the field. Jesus was raised from the dead as that same item. God held him up and said, hey, this is the first fruit. There's more of that out in the field. Isn't it beautiful? Now we have to wait a period of time for the rest to come to maturity. You know when they came to maturity? The, the Feast of First Fruits? Feast of Ingathering. What is that? Pentecost. How many days later? 
See, there was a long period of time. And then it matured. Same thing's happening now. The first fruit, some long period of time, then his body will have, what's Ephesians say? Reached maturity. Grows up into the head. See, the Bible is one fluent message. We just need to open our eyes and read it like you would any letter from beginning to end, considering principles all the way through, not segmenting it like a law book into chapters. The most useful thing that's ever happened from an academic standpoint is to assign chapters and verses. The worst thing that has ever happened from an understanding standpoint is to segment it in chapters and verses. And that's because people read two or three verses, then they skip the rest. You would never do that if it were a letter. And friends, this is a letter. To take Corinthians, or 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 as a standalone verse is just as insane as taking a 15-page love letter to my wife and isolating one sentence and, and teaching that that's all I, I, I had to say to her. That's insane. Take into consideration 2 Thessalonians. Now concerning our being gathered to Him, that day will not come until... The rebellion occurs. Somehow or another, that, that, that got left out of the gospel that's being preached in our country. Turn with me to Isaiah, and we're going to wrap this up here soon. I picked this Isaiah passage because I found it when I was in Israel, and I was studying the wedding feast at Cana. And... Uh, I was on my way to that town, and uh, I didn't understand about the wine and why Jesus, why his mother asked him to do something, why he chose that miracle there and all. And uh, ever since, for some reason, Isaiah 25 has grabbed my attention, and it's been something that I haven't been able to get out of me. Now, Isaiah lived 740 years before Jesus. Okay, he's, he's right in the middle of, of from Moses' reign uh, all the way through Jesus. You know, smack dab in the middle of what we think of as Israel's history. Excuse me, Israel's history being some 1,600 years, him being almost 800 right in the middle. You following me? And it's not that he's the first to say this, because the promise goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15. He just says this as a matter of fact, as something that, that everybody should already know. But it's a beautiful promise. And listen, we're going to start in 25 verse 1. O Lord, You are my God. I will exalt You and praise Your name. For in perfect faithfulness You have done marvelous things. Things planned long ago. You have made the city a heap of rubble. The fortified town a ruin. The foreigner stronghold the city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will honor you. Cities of the ruthless nations will revere you. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall and like the heat of the desert. You silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is still speaking about frustration and the things that God's doing in the nations. And here is the point of all of the gospel. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. 
a banquet of aged wines, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. See, there's a shroud hanging over the head of all nations. There's a sheet over all mankind. But there's a mountain in Israel in which he will swallow up death on forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all the faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. What is the disgrace? That we are trapped under the power of death, yet we're called sons of God. He will remove that on a mountain in Israel. Do you all know where Jesus ascended from? The Mount of Olives. It's a mountain in Israel. Do you know where he will return to? A mountain in Israel. The Mount of Olives. Do you know where the first to resurrect will resurrect at? A mountain in Israel. The Mount of Olives. Do you know where we're going to have a feast at? Well, you can guess. Yeah. We have it on Mount Driscoll in, in Louisiana, 535 feet above sea level, and they call it a mountain. Let me recap some of this for you, and then we're going to Acts. Genesis promised life from death. Jesus' message was come to him so that you can cross over from death to life. Matthew 28 records the resurrection followed by the Great Commission because it is what they preached. They couldn't be sent out until they saw the resurrection. Paul confirms that this is what they preached in Corinthians 15. Jesus, the first fruits, us to follow. It had been the hope of Israel since the beginning. Isaiah 25 mentions it, but the Bible throughout confirms it. Now let's turn to Acts and see how it was preached. And we're going to close in Acts. We're going to start in Acts 1. And we're going to flip to quite a few pages in Acts. But it will all be turning from the left to the right. So if you start in Acts 1, we can read these quickly. They'll follow through. In Acts 1, verse 21, we see that Judas has hung himself. They purchased the field of blood. His entrails spilled out. And now they need to replace him. Verse 21, Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of Jesus in the Great Commission sent us out as witnesses, teaching people, witnessing to all nations. But Acts calls them witnesses of the resurrection. So what are they witness? What does a witness do? A witness gives testimony to something. What are we testifying about? The resurrection. Well, why would we? Why would anybody care that a man named Jesus, a first-century Galilean carpenter Jew, rose from the dead? Why would you care? Because that guy said. If you believed on Him, He would raise you too. So the message that we preach is Jesus rose, proving He has the power of life. He also said He'd give it to whomever He was pleased to give it to. If you obey Him, He will give it to you. That is the Gospel. Strip away all the complicated covenants. Strip away all the religious worship, all of the law. 
Strip away all of the things that people think are difficult. And the Bible's trying to convey that one message. Death came through Adam. A man born of Eve would one day come with the power of life. How will you know him when you see him? He'll do the very work of God and he'll prove it to you. Well, Jesus did. He proved it. When they chose uh, an apostle, a disciple, somebody to be a witness to replace Judas, they called him a witness of the resurrection. Look in Acts 2. My Bible is one page over. It's Acts 2, 31. Well, 29. When Peter's preaching, he says, Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would, that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that fact. Well, why is that important? Because it proves he's who he said he was. Turn to Acts 4. This gets clearer as you go through the book of Acts, actually. And Acts 4, verse 2. This is Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. What did the apostles preach? They preached that Jesus raised, and just as Jesus raised, in Him we too would raise. That disturbed Israel. That disturbed the leaders. You know why? They had the same hope. They wanted to be raised too. They believed there would be a resurrection of the righteous. They just rejected the one whom God appointed as the ruler of it. They refused to come to him and have life. John 5 said that. Go on from Acts 4.2 to Acts 4.33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. What did they testify about? The resurrection. wonder why they didn't testify about the rapture or going to heaven or getting rich. Like that word, getting. Getting rich. Why didn't they testify about that? That's all I hear when I turn on the TV today. We're either getting raptured or we're getting rich. wonder why they didn't testify about that. They must not have had that revelation yet. But you know what? Verse 34 says there was no needy persons among them. Wonder why? Because they sought first the kingdom. God added everything they needed. They didn't have to preach about getting rich. Turn to Acts 17. If it wasn't clear before, it's fixing to get a whole lot clearer. 17 verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design or skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. See, I'm not the only one to use that word. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Well, how can we trust that? How can we know who that is? He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, I want to hear you again on this subject. What did Paul preach? 
He preached the resurrection of the dead. Jesus first, us to follow. Jesus has judgment over it. He's the man God appointed. His resurrection proved it. Why didn't, why didn't Lazarus' resurrection prove it, that Lazarus was that guy? Because Lazarus didn't make the claim about himself. He didn't say, I'm going to die, then I'm going to raise again to prove this to you. If Jesus had been lying when he said that, he would not have been raised from the dead. But because he was not lying, because he only gave the words he heard from the Father, it was true and God testified to it by raising him from the dead. Incidentally, who raised uh, Lazarus from the dead? Jesus. When he did it, what was his testimony about it? I am the resurrection, I'm the life. If you come to me, though you die, yet will you live. If you flip the page to Acts 23, we're going to find Paul state very plainly what his hope was. Now, if Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, if Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, and everybody in here, as far as I know, is a Gentile, and if you happen to be of Jewish descent, and that's something that you're proud of, great. If it's something that you want to be great for, then you're disqualifying yourself from being great. Starting in uh, verse 13 of 24. And they cannot prove now to you the charges they are making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I came... And I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. He has the same hope as what men? Israel. The leaders of Israel. That's who he's standing before. His accusers were the Israelites. He had the same hope they did. Now, they weren't upset about that. Nobody was upset that Paul was preaching that there was a resurrection. They were upset that Paul was preaching... There was a resurrection only in the man, Jesus. But what did Paul preach? That there was a resurrection in the man named Jesus. That's what we need to preach. It's not that complicated. It's really not. I'm, I'm not some kind of scholar that, that is the first to find this. This is what the church always believed until it was corrupted by a, a lackluster, apathetic appetite for the word. Y'all, the theology that is out there today is a house of cards waiting to fall. You just blow on it, and it falls. I mean, if you at all adhere to an idea that it must be consistent throughout Scripture, it cannot stand. Read Daniel 9. That alone. Read Daniel 7. For sure, that alone totally blows out of the water what's being taught today. If the first letter to the Thessalonians says what people think it does, then the second letter clears it up. You know, and to say that the church is not mentioned after the third chapter of Revelation, and so that's our justification for it. You know, the saints are mentioned. The elect are mentioned. A lot of things are mentioned. But I'll give you a great example. In the book of Jude, it may not mention that Jesus died. Does that mean that Jude didn't believe Jesus died? You know, I mean, that kind of... Arguing about what something doesn't say after a certain chapter being your justification is supreme arrogance and ignorance. It's either ignorance or arrogance, one or the other. 
you take your pick. 23, verse 6. Now look at Acts 24, 14. And I promise we will close in the next two minutes. 24, 14. However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men that there will be a resurrection. We already read that, didn't we? I'm sorry. A while ago, it was 23.6 that I skipped. That was, I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. Then 24.14 and 15 was the same hope. Now 26, verses 6 through 8. If you ever had any question, you remember that we are grafted into Israel's promises. Do you all remember that from reading the book of Romans? If we're grafted into Israel's promises, we need to know what Israel's promises were. Well, let's see how Paul says it. 26.6. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, is it, because of, it is because of this hope that the Jews are cur- accusing me. Why should anyone, why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? What was the hope? That God would raise the dead. The 12 tribes had that. The forefathers had that. The disciples had it. You remember that they start the book of Acts by saying, when are you going to restore the kingdom? They say, well, that's not for you to know, but I'm going to clothe you with power to go be my witnesses. It's because the resurrection has to occur before he restores the kingdom. Let's go preach to everybody the resurrection. When everybody's received it, it'll be time to restore the kingdom. Y'all, Corinthians 15, 42 through 55. We're not going to read because we're out of time. But Corinthians 15, 42 through 55 speaks of the victory of Christianity. And Adam all died. In Christ all are alive. In Adam we all bore this image of shame. In Christ we all bear the image of the man from heaven. In Christ we are all changed. In a flash, in a twinkling of the eye, your body is transformed. Then the saying will come true. Death, where is your victory? Because what is immortal will have swallowed up mortality. That is the hope of Christianity, that you who die will have a power come over you that will swallow up the mortal and leave what is immortal. That is a glorified body. Read the 15th chapter of Corinthians from beginning to end and you cannot escape it. This morning we celebrate Jesus' resurrection, not because one man raised from the dead, but because He is the very proof. And that event is the very proof that we too will raise if we're obedient to what He says. Now the last thing that He said in the book of Matthew, and we were supposed to be studying the book of Matthew this morning, was going to all the nations, teaching them to obey, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Our mission needs to be to carry to every nation of people that we come into contact with one message. God has appointed Jesus as ruler and judge. He has the power of life in Him. If you're obedient to His Word, He will give you the power of life. And there will be a resurrection. That needs to be what we carry to the nations, and it must be carried. It's not being carried. 
You read all of the tracts and stuff that are circulated in Christianity today. They don't talk about it. Repent, believe you're a sinner, and go to heaven. That's all they teach. That is not the gospel of the kingdom. That is not the message that Jesus said had to go to the ends of the earth. We can rejoice because God has seen fit to reveal to us the message. And it's not as if it were hidden. It's stated plainly. If you have eyes to see. Stand up. We're going to pray. And we're going to be joyful today that we're commemorating the day, the first day of the week, that it was proven to us that Jesus was who He said He was. That it was proven to His most harsh critics and detractors. They themselves testified, if this happens, it would be worse for us than anything else that He did. And yet the devil was not able to keep it from happening. He does have power over life. Power over death. He does have life in himself and he has crushed the enemy. Let's pray.